up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today, we are going to talk about the book Palo Mayombe, The Garden of Blood and Bones by Nicolaj de Matos Friswald. So, before we go into this book, which I have to say I got from Catland Books in Brooklyn. I'm going to keep talking about this bookstore because they have everything. Book was recommended to me. And, you know, like I always say, I like to check out which stores before I go to Amazon. And I did. And of course, Catland has everything you could possibly want. And that's where I got it. So I want to say a couple of things about who this is. And I want to say a couple of things about Palo Mayombe. So first of all, this man is a native of Norway. He is a resident of Brazil since 2003. He is a behavioral psychologist, anthropologist, and this is all coming from the author site of the publishing house. So what has he done? He has researched different spiritual legacies with a particular focus on African and Afro-derived traditions, along with what is generally defined as traditional witchcraft in Europe. So he's just studied a lot of different things. And the first thing I want to start out with this book is not a little quote from the beginning, although we could actually forget it, scratch that I will. And then I'm going to go to the back of the book. (laughs) So the beginning, it says the quote that I pulled out was, I see Palo Mayombe as a religious cult of Creole sorcery developed in Cuba with a Congolese history. So that's the quote, just to give you guys a little bit of background as to what we're talking about. But then I want to go all the way to the end of the book, which I don't know why it's put at the end. I feel like, I mean, I loved it, but I was like, oh, like this might have been nice in the beginning. And it's an apology. He puts an apology at the end. The first thing I want to say is that Palo Mayombe is a closed tradition. We're not reading this in the hopes that you're going to now, like with other books, oh, incorporate this into your practice. No. That's not why we're talking about this book. But when we're talking about the magical community, to not use any other term, right? The magical community, the spiritually magical community. There's a lot more than just Wicca. There's a lot more than Hellenismos. There's a lot more than just what is considered white European magic. And for anybody who's listening to us, who's like, oh, my heritage comes from, you know, blank. I wonder where I might fit in. I think it's a good idea for everybody, especially if this might be your heritage, maybe you want to look into it. Maybe you don't. And for people whose heritage this is not, I think it's important for everybody to have an idea of what other people are doing. Wiccans are not the only people practicing magic. Wiccans are not the only people honoring the earth, speaking to the ancestors, you know, all this stuff. There are other people. And I think the more we recognize that our group although some is open and some is closed, we should all come together in that sense to acknowledge each other and say, yes, I cannot be part of your practice. I know maybe a little bit about your practice, but I see you as another magical worker on the planet. And I think that really is going to do a lot for us and our community if we can open up that way. So would we recommend this book? To learn about somebody else's practice? Sure. To think now that you're going to take these things and do them, I wouldn't. Um, I don't think that's the purpose of the book either. I don't think he did this with the intention of, okay, now people, everybody should be a valero, right? And anyway, that comes back to the apology. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph. It says, the objective of this book 
has been to give the world an account of a cult slash religion that is often viewed with bias or as simply sinister. It is at the same time a coded handbook for the practitioner and a faithful present, uh, sorry, faithful presentation of how my experience of Palomayombe has matured over the years. And he goes on. So, you know, he goes on to say some people are saying that maybe I said too much. And other paleros may say, you haven't said enough. I think he got the mix just right. Right? I think that even if you are not a practitioner, if you are a practitioner of any practice, you are going to see similarities. You are going to understand what he's talking about so that it gives you a bigger picture. And wouldn't it be nice if we could approach other practitioners of magic without the bias that either Hollywood or I don't know where else, you know, culture tells us, yeah. oh, that's, that's evil. You know, that's bad. They're doing bad work. They're going to put a, a hex on you, you know, or whatever. So that's how we're going to discuss this book. If anybody has any questions, please let us know. But again, um, I am incredibly excited to talk about anything that's a little bit different because, I don't know, I guess I hope that maybe somebody's listening to this and goes, oh, wow. Like, I'm included in there. Or, hey, I didn't even know that. And that's my culture. Maybe I want to look this up more. So, you know, and for everybody else just to go, hey, look at that. Our community is bigger than we thought. Right? But again, I'm just going to stress, this is a closed practice. I think that just listening, just listening to this first five minutes, it's almost sort of like this is our theme for the year for Witch Space is diversity. Ooh. And I think it's something we've talked about in previous seasons that like, you know, there isn't a ton of diversity in the way that witchcraft gets portrayed. Mm. Right. And whether that is by the mainstream media, by society, or even by our own community, it's very Wiccan centric. It's very white European centric. And Part of diversity is being exposed to other things, and we can't be exposed to other things if we never read books about different cultures or different practices or different ideologies. You don't, you don't have to take anything from a book. You can read a book just to be exposed. And I think that this book especially is one of those things where it's like if you're reading along with us, if you listen to the podcast and you're like, I want to read – Paula Mayombe, read it to be exposed, right? Yeah. Don't go in a, with any intention of taking anything because the exposure might be more important for some of us than any of the content could be. And wouldn't it be nice if you do go somewhere, a magical uh, conference or something, and you meet a palero to be able to yeah. speak to them and say you enjoyed this book and, hey, have you ever read it? How do you feel it represents the community? Did he get it right? Do you feel, you know... I always find um, when people approach me about anything that I do that's cultural and they know a little bit or they ask me questions about it, I always feel so honored that somebody took the time out to even want to read it, to yeah. even want to ask me a question that they don't have to, right? It's not their practice, so why should they care? So when somebody who's not in your practice knows even a little bit, it, it does make you feel seen and it's a nice thing. And I think that's what we try to do with the Taino book. Yeah. Um, right. To just talk about there's a particular indigenous practice, not the only indigenous practice. And of course, this is not the only practice that has come from the continent of Africa. 
So yes. at some point we will discuss others. If there's something in particular you'd like us to look at, let us know. And if we can get somebody on here to talk with us, that would be awesome. That's not probably going to be as easy as I thought because I have reached out. I'm not going to say who or what tradition, but I have reached out to several people of the same particular tradition and everyone seems excited, but nobody actually follows through and wants Mm -hmm. to come on the podcast. And I totally understand that. And I think maybe, and I could be wrong. It's just something that I'm thinking about. Is it possible that Maybe they feel there is no room in this community for them or there hasn't been room up until this point. And, you know, are we looking just to exploit them or are we looking to have other people that really should not be part of it get to be part of it? So, you know, maybe with time, people will see that, yeah, you know, mostly what we want to do is to just have people understand different traditions a little bit to become more aware. And I don't know. I think it does feel good to know that, hey, this has been going on all over the world. It's got different names and it's done in different ways, but you know, we're everywhere. So hopefully people will see that's what we're trying to do and uh, let's get into it. I don't think I want to go into every single chapter. Some of the chapters I feel are, well, we'll see when we get there. We can go from the beginning and move forward. You lead the way. Me? Oh my God. So the first chapter talks about the visible and invisible history of Palo. So where it comes from, which is the Congo, and of course, well, it comes to the Congo and then really gets formed in Cuba. Yes. Now, a lot of people feel when they talk about Cuba, they're thinking, oh, Santeria. So is this just another form of Santeria? This is not Santeria. This is not related to Santeria in any way, shape or form. Um, That'll be its own episode, I think, at one point. So if you're thinking, yeah, so if you're thinking, oh, magic, it comes from Africa, formed in Cuba, this is Santeria, it's not. So if you know anything about Santeria, awesome, now put it out of your head, because (laughs) because we're in a whole new world. Yeah, we are. Um, It's a very good history that he gives, and that part I had to read a couple of times over, because on mm -hmm. the one hand... There's so much content. But on the other hand, I think that this book does a good job of being respectful in discussing the history of these practices and how they come from and, you know, how they get involved with the Portuguese and how they come to Cuba and that sort of stuff. Because, especially in America, like, we're, the nuance around discussing slavery was not super, it's not great. <laughs> it's pretty bad. So to be able to say, you know, hey, this is what we know, this is what you probably know, but this is how that actually plays into this religious and spiritual development of this practice, I think gives more context and sort of takes it more seriously. I think a lot of times when we talk, I say we, a lot of times when people hear about like voodoo or Santeria or Palo Mayombe, You hear about it sort of in this very brief way. They're like, yeah, the slaves brought it over from Africa and they did it on the island and blah, blah, blah. But there's no real like acknowledgement of how important that was in the Congo or in the Yoruba tribes for uh, Santeria. Mm -hmm, Is I think that one? Look at me doing things. Um, So it (laughs) it was really respectful in a way that Obviously, it has to be in this book. Like, I would be pissed if it hadn't been. 
but as an American person to read it changes your perspective. Yeah. Um, so just a little bit about what Paulo teaches. So it teaches the existence of a creator deity, right? But this deity is really uninvolved in human affairs. This is not the kind of God that's going around um, punishing humans or anything of that kind. That's not what they do. Um, it's also divided into different traditions. So you have Mayombe, Briyumba, and Kimbisa. They all have their own approaches to the religion. So if you're hearing this and you're saying, wait a minute, Palo, this is not, we're talking about Palo Mayombe, not any other branch of it. Um, and this is mostly practiced in Eastern Cuba. Um, although it's found all throughout the islands and it's already gone abroad. So it's not like it's only there, but just things to think about. And of course, um, people who practice palo are called paleros. I think I already said it, but I didn't say what that was. So um, they're paleros or paleras. Yes, they use the Spanish. I know people are like, they don't use paleres. And it's like, as far as I know, they don't. Um, and basically the name palo, a palo is a stick. So what it's really talking about is sticks, trees, the roots. We're talking about all these different types of things. We're talking about palo. Now, that doesn't mean that just because they come from the Congo, there aren't any influences that are Yoruba. There are. Again, it all depends on which practice it is. So just, you know, things to think about because it's, I don't know how to put this. It's like, it's its own separate thing, but I think you can find similarities in other practices like that. Do you know what it reminds me of? What? It gives me like Greco-Roman energy. Like, there's a lot of overlap between Santeria and Palomayombe, but they are not the same thing. And there are very specific cultural and um, geographical reasons why they create, why they uh, were developed. No. Yes. Yes. No. Very specific reasons why they developed differently. So, and he mentions in the book that, like, some of the um, spirits kind of have overlap, or in some places, the spirits have kind of been syncretized into one entity, but their development, the development of these religions slash religious cults are different and should be treated differently. Um, he actually does go into the differences between a Nikisi and a saint, which is because you're talking about the Orishas. Sometimes you're talking about working with saint, whereas they're not working with saints or Orishas. So, you know, he does do a really good job of differentiating which you might think, well, why even bother? But yeah, I think that we've heard a lot about Santeria. So I think it's a good idea that what he did by really separating and giving us an idea of what's going on. He also talks about the use of the cross in the yes. cosmogram, which I thought was, as somebody who has studied Wicca, I think that it really, again, you start seeing little similarities in things, mm -hmm. right? Because they talk about the cross and how you have the upper human world from the lower ancestral world, right? As above, so below is what I thought mm -hmm. about, you know, as well as the female principle on the left side, right? We're talking about the circle with the cross in it. And then on the right side, you have the male. So this whole idea of having all this energy of both the, you know, the material world, the spiritual world, um, the idea of there is male and female in everything, I think is something that right away, I think when you're thinking about how do I even jump in as somebody who has a different spiritual practice, I think that was yeah. a good thing to go. I already understand this concept to a certain degree. Now I'm getting to see how other cultures have developed this concept. So things like that you might see if you're Wiccan, you might go, oh, wow, okay, this is interesting. 
I really enjoyed his discussion of, um, I believe it's the Kalonga, which is like the ocean as the other world, and specifically the discussion of how like the dead are not another state, Mm -hmm. right? And I think we've spoken about this before, this idea of like a cycle of life and death or of um, just the way that I think quote-unquote ancient religions treated ancestors in a very different way than Christianity does. And this story that he tells of how the white Europeans came across the ocean and the Congolese people saw that as their ancestors returning. Yeah. And that, I think, is something that all of us in the witchcraft space, especially, like, more recently, have been missing. And it's something that you see more and more. So, like, in Hellenismos, we honor our our uh, we call them our honored dead. So we honor our honored dead. But we venerate our ancestors. In these practices, Palomayombe, Santeria, we honor our ancestors. When we were talking about Taino culture, we honor the Semis, which can be our ancestors. In um, talking about like Caridwin, we're honoring the Bards. We're honoring our ancestors. That was something that I think was stripped away by Christianity. Oh, that okay. all of these different cultures that we're kind of reconstructing now are trying to bring back. So even if you're not practicing Palomayombe, that section probably will resonate with you because it's something that I feel like as a community, we're all trying to find a way to connect to that cycle as opposed to it just being like a hard stop. Like, okay, you're dead now. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I I gotta say... This idea of the ancestors, at least when I started Wicca, was not a focus, really. Yeah. Discussion of ancestors was really not a focus. And it's something that, you know, like I've said, I've pieced things together. And something that I felt was missing in my practice because that's just something that comes naturally. Now, here's one thing about ancestor work that I also don't hear people talk about. At what point do you speak to the ancestors? And when you're saying ancestors, are you talking simply just about um, people that have come before you of your people or are you mm-hmm. specifically talking about your bloodline or the bloodline of this particular life that you had because I kind of see it as both in my practice yeah and when it comes to my direct bloodline there is I mean I was gonna say unspoken but my mother would definitely be the one to tell you not now um, there's a time you have to wait mm-hmm. there is a time for your ancestors to pass it's a time for them to kind of like figure themselves out in this state before yeah. you can actually say, I'm going to start calling on them. Because otherwise you're calling down somebody who is not ready to even do work with you because they're not in that state yet. And that's something that's not really talked about when it comes to talking about your specific ancestors, your specific bloodline. Um, that's not going to really be talked about here. So I don't know why I brought it up, but I just brought it up because it was something that I was thinking about that, you know, we're talking about ancestor work, but you know, even to say ancestors, people might be confused. Like, what does that mean? Like the ancestors of the land I'm on the, you know, the, the, you know, who exactly am I reaching out to? And I think the answer is different for different people. So that might be a different podcast altogether working with the ancestors. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Put it on the list. Put it on the list, because if we do that now, we're never going to get past this book. Yeah, no. So what else can we talk about? Maybe the lengua, the ritual code. Okay. I'm wondering what you thought of that, because 
Okay, so one of the things that they're always talking about is this idea of flux and and fire, right? This idea that everything is always in flux, right? And the fire can be physically fire, it could just be the fire that ignites us to do things. And then, of course, we talk about lengua and the importance of a ritual code, the importance of words, of language, mm-hmm. whether it's necessarily spoken or whether it's in the firmas that they do. And we're going to talk about firmas in a, I guess in a little bit. But um, this idea of language, and they do kind of connect this. And I know I wrote it down here somewhere. Some Greek guy they started talking yeah. about. <laughs> he talked about a lot of Greek guys. I was surprised. I can't even say this. Heraclitus? Heraclitus? Oh, so how I say it is yeah. Heraclitus, yes, because okay. I don't like the idea of saying Heraclitus. Um, yeah. It sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um, – so I guess at firstly I want to talk generally because I, I obviously enjoyed referencing Greek m- myths. I obviously like when any book does that. Um, the manner in which – Frisvold does that is very um, – I mean, first of all, it's very academic, right? Mm-hmm. It's very like let's put references to cultures together. Let's see how they connect. But it's also very metaphorical, which I thought was very interesting. It's not – I talk a lot about taking Greek mythology sort of literally in Reconstruction, trying to like take it as it is and bring it into the modern day. Whereas I think he treated it much more as a myth, much more as a metaphor. And it was interesting to see then him relate that to the quote-unquote metaphors of Palomayombe. Because obviously when you are a Palero, you're th- these are things you're taking seriously. This is your actual practice. But to compare the two cultures – you can't – the practices are fundamentally not the same, but metaphorically, right. they really align. Just – I guess because we were just talking about flux and fire, and that's where he comes in and starts talking about exactly you know, these different theories. And, you know, I don't want to say that it's not influenced because I'm not a palero, but I just found it kind of odd. And I don't know how much is just him trying to make the reader understand certain things, so he brings it back to something we can understand and how much he actually thinks like he just says that it, it resonates with it. But I, I I think sometimes a lot of this Greek stuff, I thought on the one hand, yes, it's really cool because it's something that I know a little bit more about, especially after talking to you, mm-hmm. but it was just kind of like, where is this coming from? Kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? When, when a, an academic brings in Greek and Roman culture in general, I always see it as, their attempt to create a unified ideal. Mm. Um, And sometimes that's me projecting and sometimes that's actually what they're doing. But I find a lot of times that so much of the Western world was grounded in Roman culture specifically and therefore Greek because it predated it. So academics will take the language of Roman culture and Greco-Roman culture and impose it on things that are not West, the non-Western world in an attempt to universally align these cultures. Um, I om- Part of me feels like this is kind of what Wicca tried to do also, to be like, I'm going to align um, 
instead of using Roman, using Celtic mythology, but we're going to create this universal right. sort of ideology, taking in the Hindu practice, taking in um, Gematria and Jewish practice and that sort of stuff to create this one concept that would represent multiple ideologies. Personally, like I liked to read it. I don't know how much it adds to the text. Right. But also, how much can he really tell us? So maybe it is better for him to be referencing Greco-Roman culture than to be like, and this is exactly how it works in Palo Mayombe, and this is what this means. You know? Right. Right. That makes sense. And he does do that also, not just with the Greeks, but he talks about the Orishas as well. To try to give people um, uh, an idea of a, of, I was going to say a deity, but not necessarily a deity, but like a spiritual form of one, spiritual form of another, both representing thunder. But even though they have the same, share the same natural power, they're not the same. Their ancestry, the culture that created them is going to create them both in very different ways. Yes. And I like that he discussed that. I also like the fact that he is very clear about the fact that in Palomayombe, there is no devil. Because I don't know why, but I feel like everyone is looking for the devil when it comes to magical practice. Am I crazy? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, it's not I don't just think witches. It's like, oh my God, they worship the devil. No, we don't believe in the devil. Oh my God. So it's Palo. So it's, it's evil. They worship the devil. Okay. There's no devil there either. And I, I find it interesting how many magical practices <laughs> there are in the world. And nobody's like, oh, he's over here. We got him. He's ours. Uh, do you know what I mean? Oh, With the well, there's of, two people. Know, <laughs> well, no, I know. You know, we're talking about <laughs> Satanism, but I'm saying outside of that, any other yes. kind of magical practice where people naturally want to infuse him, he's just not found. So I like the fact that he said that, but he does say there's a cosmic antagonist. And I think I've never heard it put that way. And I feel like that makes sense, not just for Palo or for anything. I think that makes sense even when you're talking about witches. Just because we don't acknowledge a devil does not mean that we don't think that there is negativity. And we're not even talking about shadow work. Okay, we're talking about people who, honest to God, want to harm this is what they live for this is part of what they believe they are to harm others oh and see that's not how i took it oh how do you take it i was thinking about i I got real english teacher i was thinking about the difference between like an antagonist and a villain and i think the devil is the villain right he's out to get you he's Mm -hmm. like the bad guy he wants to fuck up your life whereas like an antagonist might just be working on something against you but that's that's not against you personally. They're just working in an opposite direction. It's like um, oh, it's okay. like at school sometimes when I right. really want to do a certain project, but like the the time scale doesn't work out. Like the the schedule right. is my antagonist, but it's not like a personal attack. Right. It's just sometimes things work against you, and that's not anybody's fault. It's just the universe. And as the English teacher now, I'm sitting here going, hmm, is that what he means? Could be. I don't know. <laughs> now I like that better. So there you go. I mean, it depends. Sure. It's, it's going to be everybody's interpretation. But also, you can be an antagonist and be a villain at the same time. So it's not True. like there aren't both of those people. But they don't have to be. Right. And I like that. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to go with that. 
cool. That's how we use that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then he goes on. Another big part of the book is this whole idea of possession of spirit. Yes, which and, was super interesting. Yeah. And especially since we just finished talking about our thoughts about what mediumship is. And then here he goes and talks about possession of spirit. And some of it, I mean, he says there's different types, right? And mm-hmm. some of it can just be, right, like you're going into a trance type of thing, altering your consciousness. That could be some sort of like, you know, spirit. But then there's actual also a spirit that could take over. So the fact that we just talked about it and then they're talking about it yeah. here, I was like, oh, my God, yes. One of the things that I like that he says, and I guess it's something that maybe we think about, but I've never said it. The veil between worlds is lifted by the medium. Yeah. So that means the medium doesn't necessarily, yes, if you take on a spirit into your body, you are the conduit, but you might not be. You might just be somebody who's a different type of conduit. You're opening the the, the veils, yeah. you know, so people can see it, but not necessarily taking it on yourself. So I kind of like that, you know, I kind of like that he does talk about and he says the same things that I was talking about, you know, the spirit, if you, if you do, if you are that kind of a medium, they come in, they speak in their natural language, all this stuff. So I don't, it's just kind of nice to see, especially when I talk about this stuff and I'm sure that a lot of people out there going, that's not what a medium is. And I go, I'm so alone on this Island. And then to know that there's a whole bunch of people who are like, Oh yeah, yeah, we got you. Like, yeah, we understand there is, there are mediums that just receive information and there are mediums that actually receive spirit. So I thought that was that was really good. Um, is there anything you want to say about that? Because I thought we'd talk about firmas. So yes, but also the thing that I'm thinking of is related to. Fuck it. Let's. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna do it. We're just gonna go. Go ahead. I think that the there are two things specifically that when he talked about them in the books, I said this is why Palomayombe got a bad name. Okay. And it's when he talks about possession and it's when he talks about the bones. Okay. Because it reminded me of when I was just starting out in witchcraft, the way that people used to talk about voodoo, in that people are constantly looking for the devil. They're constantly looking for how is this practice, how can we make this practice anti Christian, anti moral, like just how can we demonize this as much as possible? And those two things are exactly the kind of things that the Catholic and Christian majorities are going to be like, possession? Bones? The devil is here. Um, but when he describes possession, it's it's the word, right? White people, but Christian people in general. When you hear the word possession, it makes you afraid. But he's not talking about being possessed in the sense that, like, you have no control over yourself and you can never be a person again. He's talking about possession in the sense of allowing a spirit to utilize you and to communicate through you. And that's that didn't sound scary when I read about it in the book. And it didn't sound scary when you talked about it as far as psychics and mediumship. And it's it's very clear to me that sometimes things were specifically taken out of context to make them seem as shitty as possible. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what other word to use besides possession. So if that's the word that's used and you don't want people to want to follow anything like that, well, then as a new religion, Christianity, it's smart to say yeah. oh, possession is bad, possessed by the devil, right? Yeah. So you say that and now people are like, oh, my God, those people practice. Oh, my God, they do possession. No, 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 that's evil, right? Yeah. Boom. 
So pretty smart on them. Not in a good way, but... (laughs) Very very clever, very evil. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, good for you. And then he talks about firmas. Yes. So a firma, when I say a firma in day-to-day language, it means my signature. I need your firma here, your signature. Oh. That's what it means. And that's what firmas mean here, spirit signatures. So we're talking about arrows, crosses, circles, the arrows pointing to direction, the crosses... um, positive presence of the Nizambi and circles, which is possibilities. So all of these um, figures are used to create certain firmas. And he compares them to Veves in Voodoo. So anybody who knows about Voodoo, they're talking about how important they are, just like Veves, right? Um, they're cosmograms, he says, revealing the essential nature of a given power. And when activated, it is like a prayer and a calling at the same time. Not too different from a sigil. It is different. Yeah. But not that different. I think that if you, and he does have them in the book, and I want to talk about that section as well. I think when you look at that, if you first open the book, I think many witches might look at it and go, oh, they do sigil work. This is, why do I Mm -hmm. have that voice? Like I'm some sort of like lady (laughs) in a department store. I became like this caricature, but like, oh, oh, Harry, look, they have, they have sigils in this book. Let's buy the book. Um, <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> but anyway, so he does explain what they're for. He even has the words that go with it, right? The chants that you would say, the prayers mm-hmm. that you would say, however you want to call it. You want to call it the spell. However you would say whatever words are to you, uh, this is what they have. And they really are quite literally arrows, circles, and crosses. But quite beautiful, I have to say. I mean, I really do... I do really love what they do here. And it's really explained pretty clearly as to who you would be writing these for and what the purpose is of those. Now, of course, just an additional reminder, don't do them. No. Don't do them. Um, He's very clear at the beginning of the book that this is an initiatory practice. If you're not initiated and not a Polero, don't do them. Just look at how cool they are. Yeah. And, And I mean, again... What do I like about this? If you're going to look at these things, these firmas, and you're going to see the prayers associated with them, again, it's just a nice going, hey, we got some stuff in common. Yes. Right? They're still very different, but that's kind of cool. I meet a palero and I'm kind of like, I I, I understand you I a get little it. bit. I get yeah. it. Right? Um, he also mentions the Taino, which, of course, were the indigenous people of the Caribbean, not just Puerto Rico. Um, they might have had some of the influences on firmas. And as somebody who has gotten the opportunity to go to, okay, it just I just blanked, but there is, ah, I just blanked <laughs> on the name. Any Puerto Rican listening to me is going to kill me. It's in, I know it's right outside of Ponce. <laughs> and it's, um, it's actually a, they've reconstructed some of the boyos where the Taino people lived. And there's also stones there that have been carved and they believe that it's type it's a type of game. It's like almost like a baseball type of game. And you see some, and of course they talk about some of the uh, marks that were left, some of the, you know, mm-hmm. images that are there. And when you see stuff like that, or you go to museums and you see things, the markings that Tainos have left, you can see where they may have, yeah, it's quite possible, especially since yeah. Palo Mayombe was originated in Cuba, course what you have there you have a lot of the indigenous people still there so 
it makes mm-hmm. sense that they would um, influence it. I thought that was kind of cool, just like a little bit like of an aside to it. Um, and then, of course, he talks about the resurrection of the dead. So let's start with, um, I would like to discuss the word necromancy. Yes. Because I okay. think this is another word that was made to be bad. Yeah. That doesn't need to be that. And like, I'm an asshole. Let's just start with that. Because when I hear the word necromancy, I think of Dungeons and Dragons. Because of who I am as a person. I'm sorry. But that's, that's healing okay. magic in D&D is necromancy. Okay, when I hear necromancy, I wonder if I need more lipsticks. I mean, that's so at least yours oh, that's true, has a that's basis true. in something. For me, I'm just like necromancy, cosmetica. Wait a minute. No, no I, I think, think yours is better. That. I think I'm good. Okay. But like healing magic in D&D is also necromancy. Necromancy mm. isn't it doesn't have to be bad. And in a in a community right now in a witch in a witch space where people are getting into ancestor worship in whatever way they do it that's fucking necromancy like dealing with spirits dealing with the dead is necromancy whether or not you're doing it in like the quote-unquote good way or the quote-unquote bad way like we just made that word be as shitty as humanly possible so that we could take people out of context so we could treat them like villains and so we could demonize the practices that they have he also says that it has its roots in ancestor veneration. So, you know, I hate to break it to you people, but if you're working with the ancestors, you're doing some you do form necromancy. Of, yeah, necromancy. So if you look at it that way, now everybody can just relax, take a breath, and just take yeah. a step back and know it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Necromancy versus ne- necromancy, which is the expert in the spirits and trafficking in the spirits. So he also has, like, some fine points, some, like, looking at different root words and talking about like what exactly it means you know expert in working with the dead versus other things so if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty i think that's kind of interesting to look at the history of these different root words and see like what they actually mean so and it is very interesting to look at the manner in which the words are used because the root of necromancy is black Uh and isn't it interesting that the root of working with spirits and the root of the word that is more explicitly in his text kind of more of a bad thing is the one that historically was associated with black. Isn't it interesting the way that white supremacy just like weaves its way into these conversations? Oh my God. It's all over the language that we use. Yeah. You know, um, I just thought of the phrase pure as driven snow. What color is snow? White. Yeah. I mean, it's not an accident. None of these things are an accident that they got into our language that way. Absolutely not. Yeah. But then that's also a different conversation to how language. Yes. Yeah. No, we can't do that now. We yeah. can't do that um, now. <laughs> all right. So then he talks about, I guess we can talk about the other two big things because I feel like we're getting into a lot of different things. Divination and the role yes. of herbs. So yes. to start out with, he feels that there are two important ways that they use divination or tools that they use, I should say. So chamalongos, which are basically four pieces of coconut shells. And it's kind of like a pendulum because he says it's mostly used for yes and no. Yes and no mm-hmm. type of answers. However, he does say that a good palero can go beyond this whole yes and no and actually do more with it. 
And then the other thing is vititi nikobos, which is the seeing shells, come from cowrie shells, which again, and this is kind of interesting, if they're palo, because a lot of santeros will say, and you go to a santero and they'll say, oh, they read tarot cards, but really santeros use cowrie shells. So reading about that in this book made me kind of take a step back and go, oh, wow. Now, is that just a cultural thing, right? Were they just plentiful? Where? In the Caribbean? Yeah. Were they plentiful in in the Congo? Like, where were they plentiful? Like, how was that used? How did that develop? That's kind of something that, I mean, my own personal thing is I'd like to know more about the history of yeah. cowrie shells because I think that's fascinating. Yes, I have cowrie shells. No, I'm not really good at reading them. I think that, like, when he makes the point about the the coconuts, that, like, a good palero can go further than yes or no, that's also very clearly, like, the more you practice at a skill, the better you're going to be at it. That's true, too. And divination is absolutely a skill. Um, I, I think it's always very interesting when people pick up on like their historical divination mm. um and i i would be interested in seeing like if if you were to really like try cow like commit to cowrie shells how much easier would that be for you than if you were trying to learn tarot like is there yeah. a spiritual connection there is there not and what does that mean and that's again another conversation but an interesting thought experiment I think for me, the cowrie shells, why I even picked them up was because of a cultural connection, because I felt like this is something I should do. I think the reason that I haven't really gotten good is because there's a lot of, I'm nervous about it. Um, mm -hmm. It's like this big thing that like, I think people probably might expect me to know how to do and I really don't know how to do it. And I need to, you know, figure out where I'm going to be in life with this, whether I'm going to commit to it or not. That might be a yeah. summer project, you know, who knows? Ooh, I love that idea. Yeah, you know, we'll see how it goes. But um, the other thing that I like about this book is, again, unlike other books, and when I say other books, I'm talking about like Wicca books where they go, oh, you want to read tarot? So this is what the cards mean. And like a really brief little thing. And they're like, if you want to know more, go to these books. He's not telling you. All right. It's not, yeah. any, not anybody's business. People either know or they don't know how to read the shells. He gives you a little bit of information about it, but there's no way you're going to learn. So if someone's like, ooh, I want to get this under my belt. Yeah, you're not going to find out. This is not for you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so there's that. And then he talks yeah. about the role of herbs. And one of my favorite things that he does in this book is that he says, hey, like right up front, you, knucklehead, I'm not responsible for any crazy crap that happens to you because you went out and got these herbs and started doing stuff with them. So that's on you, boo. So go ahead. But I want to give you information, but it's information. I like that. I also would like to say a disclaimer, please, just like Gemini said, if you're not a palero, enjoy the information do that's here. Now, here's the other thing. If you are a practiced herbologist, if you are somebody who's worked with herbs and, you know, you're just going to gain maybe a different perspective on some of these herbs and you may learn about other herbs. But again, it's on you to decide whether you want to go into this. Just, you know, I always say you got to have respect for other people's things. So because he, he doesn't just talk about the herbs. He also talks about things that you can do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, some of it is really um, benign, like anise, yeah. right? Is it anise? Yeah. 
which is good for like intestinal infirmities. We know that, right? Um, Hanhibre, ginger. Like we all know how to use some of these things. Yeah. It's not like you're reading this and going, oh, wow, I had no idea that ginger. Yeah, of course we know what ginger does. Yeah. But, you know, there are other things that I would just say, tread, you know, carefully because you're not really sure. And I wouldn't go changing how I use it just because you read this in a book. I would just keep using this stuff. Like, Agreed. It. But again, you meet a palero and now you're kind of like, hey. I, did you yeah. know we also use blank, blank, blank? You know, it's, it's a and talking listen. point. If you are reading this book or listening to us talk about it and you're realizing that, like, this is what you've been looking for, go get initiated. Yeah. Go get initiated. Right? Like, we're not telling you never to do it. We're telling you to be safe, yeah. be respectful, and be appropriate. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I was saying this to Gemini when we started was, I like the fact that this is being written by somebody who is a white guy. This is a guy who comes from someplace else and is living in Brazil and has studied. He literally is very serious about his studies and was initiated. So it doesn't mm -hmm. mean if you're sitting out there and you're like, okay, so this is just gatekeeping. No, no. This is a seriously closed tradition. However, if you are very serious about getting involved, you can. Right? Yeah. Cross your T's, dot your I's, and do the work and yeah absolutely someone will initiate you it's not like you can't so yeah so if you're reading this and going this sounds like this is something i want to do do it there's also a glossary in the back just wanted to bring that which up thank well. god <laughs> i still pronounce things horribly but i'm horrible at other languages which you're going to say but you're bilingual yeah but that's pretty much that's where i lived and died like i've tried to learn other languages and for mm -hmm. some reason it doesn't work i i, I probably need to like I have the exact fully. same problem, but I'm monolingual, so oh. it's, like, even more embarrassing. Yeah. You guys should see the face she just made at me. Oh, my God. Oh, cut to my core. Wow. Whew. Okay. Okay. And he also talks about the different palos that are used and what they're used for, the different um, woods that are used. Yes. So that's that's generally the book. I mean, I don't know if something you want to mention or you want to say. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I think this book, I'm really happy we read it. And we we talked before we started um, doing the podcast because I was a little uncomfortable because I'm a white lady. And I didn't, I you know, this is very much not my wheelhouse. But um, I'm really happy that this is something that we get to explore on the podcast. And I'm really happy that we get to make space for other um, religions and spiritualities because that's how we get a community mm -hmm. right we're not a witch space if it's just two witches talking shit on a podcast <laughs> we're just two witches talking shit on a podcast yeah and i i posted about it earlier in the year but it's just been really nice to watch the impact on us and on the people that follow us and on the coven and just everything to see the way our minds open and to see the way we change our understanding of the world. And so am I going to do anything with this book? No, I am not taking anything from it. I am not incorporating anything from it, but I am changed because of it. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'm also not going to do anything with it. It's, it's not my heritage. So 
even though I do have ancestors from that country, I don't feel that this is something that they brought here. So it's not theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that later on I may not become interested. And just like anybody else who might want to be seriously into it, I can look for people to yeah. want to be initiated. Um, yeah, I love making connections across different traditions. And mostly because of this. A lot of times, you know, traditions will say, well, the Wicca's young. You know, <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. And you say, okay, but it is. And I think that one of the things that I hope that we're doing on this podcast is show that everybody's magic is actually coming from an older place, from a place of our ancestors, everything. Mm -hmm. And as much as it can evolve or you might jump traditions, you take this stuff that's in your DNA with you. So I think also when you read this stuff, you get to see, wow, how old is this tradition? Look how similar this is to something else. What else yeah. is there out there? What else are people doing? And yeah, you don't feel so alone anymore, especially if you're somebody who mixes traditions and you go, you know what? A little bit of this is in there. Or like I said, I felt kind of validated to see that somebody else sees mediums and psychics, you know, in mm -hmm. a similar way than I do. You know, you just feel good because you, you know that you're, again, you're just not alone. And it's a nice yeah. thing, especially when you're talking about the fact that so many of us practice alone. You know what? We're not. So I thoroughly recommend this book. I think that it's something that when you read it, like you said, it will change your perspective. And I think the more you read about practices that you have no clue even existed, maybe. Yeah. You know what? It, it's, it's something, it's the type of book that I might come back to, not because I'm going to use it, but just just to read a little bit more about it, especially yeah. when it comes to the herbs. I really don't, you know, when you're reading it for the podcast, I'm reading it for information so that I can say it to people. But sometimes I just want to digest some of the things that he's saying yeah. about things, um, especially when it's things that I've never seen before. It's like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Let me really read this again. So I definitely recommend it. I think that it just brings us closer together. Like it just, yeah. I don't know, it just opens up the possibilities of, what else is out there? Who else is practicing? And if somebody's practicing and, you know, some paleros do use the term brujo or brujeria, just like some indigenous people will say that they are brujos. And some people don't like the term witch at all. But I think that the more we realize how we're the same, you know, can find a word that kind of brings us all in. And that's a nice thing, I think. And if you are a palero and you've heard this, please, please let us know what you think. I would like to know what your thoughts are the thoughts are on this and if, the, if this is a book that you've read and that you liked or whether you know you totally think he's missed the mark because maybe he has i mean you know we're trying to go by recommendations and stuff but maybe there's something else out there and if we've missed something you know we want to hear it because we are coming to this with complete respect for the person who wrote it for the people who follow palo mayombe and just i just want to close on this because i think you've said it throughout the podcast but Sometimes just knowing about another person's culture or identity is the thing that you need to create a, a bond or a relationship. Because listening to you talk about like whether or not these people use brujo or brujeria. Very you say that language. very well, though. The, the I try really hard. <laughs> it's coming along. It's very but nice. 
I, we, this earlier in the year, it was, you know, very snowy and my students really wanted a snow day. And so I was telling them, okay, well, you need to flush an ice cube. You need to put a spoon under your pillow and you need to wear your pajamas inside out. And a lot of my students are Hispanic and they look at me and they're like, what are you talking about? And so I, instead of trying to explain this in any way, I just looked at them and I was like, it's like white lady brujeria. And they all immediately were like, yes, miss, we get it. We're going to do it. And guess what we had the next day? A snow day. So sometimes that you just need that little moment to be like, yeah, I, I acknowledge that you exist and your culture exists and I know at least enough about it to respect that. You know what's interesting though? You said that about the kids and it's something that happened this year as well. I don't know why. I mean, God, what were we reading? We were reading Hemingway. Like we weren't even reading, like it wasn't Halloween, but for some reason somebody brought up the fact that they saw something in their house. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this student is Latina. So I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And I just start laughing to myself. And I said, anybody else have stories like this? And sure enough, all these Latina kids' hands went up. And the white kids were looking at them like they're crazy. And then a couple of Asian kids' hands went up. And that's when I went, I need to learn more about different pockets of Asian culture because Mm -hmm. there's something else going on there. And, you know, part of it could be, and I said this in class, I said, you know, we're so mixed in, especially these kids are from the Caribbean, I believe. We're all mixed, though. I said, we're all mixed. I said, but some of the things that we're mixed with are African and the indigenous people of our countries. Mm -hmm. And I said, and they brought with them and they created, we're talking about Palo Mayombe, right? Yeah. They brought all these things with them. And in us is kind of like this thing. Like, I do think the majority of Latina kids can't see other things beyond what's, you mm-hmm. know, the other side of the veil. They can see the other side of the veil. They understand the other side of the veil. And when this one student raised her hand and I was like, now I want to know more about why are the Asian kids seeing stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You know, maybe it's just a, I'm just crazy. But I just wonder if the more we talk about it in our cultures, the more it's accepted, the more kids can see and talk about it. Whereas in other traditions, it's like we don't talk about this. So even if they do see, they're going to rationalize it, right? Um, Oh, yeah, I was sleeping. Oh, yeah, there was a shadow in the room because my dad was walking by. Meanwhile, your dad wasn't walking by. Admit the fact that your dad wasn't walking by. But you're Mm going to rationalize it because it's not part of your culture. Whereas in our culture, it's totally possible to say, yep, there was a figure over there and I saw it, right? Um, Yeah. So you never know. It's an interesting thing. So you, we have to thank you for the snow day. Thank you. It was very nice. Snow day. Thank my nice. kids. Yeah. The, the students Friday did one? it. Are you talking about the one on Friday? The one that yes. happens on a Friday? Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, I don't think we're going to do it. I don't think it's going to happen. This is what you have to do to make it happen. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's just white lady brujeria. That's what it is. If you want it to happen, you got to do the white lady shit. Here you go. <laughs> I was so tired that week that I was like, please, please give us a snow day. <laughs> I just wanted to sleep. So it was yeah. very nice. Yeah, I mean, it worked out perfectly. Yeah, it was good. All right. Just like well, this book worked out perfectly. It did. We have not hit a clunker yet. So there we go. This book, done. Check. Go us. So yeah, please, please let us know if you read the book, if you've read other books, if you are a palero, if you know a palero, all this stuff. We want to hear everything. And where can they find us, Gemini? 
Well, you can hit us up on Instagram at witchspaceco in the DMs. You can also email us at witchspaceco at gmail.com. You can catch us at events that we always publicize on our Instagram and on the podcast as well. And you could just like, I don't know, telepic telepathically send us messages. I can't guarantee that we're going to get them, but I think that'd be fun. So somebody please try. <laughs> okay. You know what I've always wanted? Like, I don't want to pass this earth without having done this once. Mm-hmm. I want to get a message and respond to a message via carrier pigeon. Somebody send Scorpio a carrier pigeon. Yeah. I really, at some point in my life, I just think it would be cool to like have this bird show up on my deck and like I go out there and he's got like a little note don't they like tie the sick, notes yeah. to like the little yeah. yeah to their little footsies yeah like just like how are you and then I would just write good and you and just send it back like it was just that would make my day I want to do that I okay, also I'm putting that on the list as well I also want to walk with falcons you could do that yeah I really want to do that like I want to take the classes and like just go on a walk I would ideally... I am already afraid of you so like I actually hate that idea like I Ideally, I'd like to be dressed in my Renaissance gear and like just go for a walk in the woods with a falcon. Like, you know, you send it off and it comes back on your arm. Like, this is mm-hmm. something that's another thing that I really want to do in my life. I just think that is like I could die after that. Like, I'd be so happy. Yeah, I um, am afraid of you. So I'm just going to say that out loud. Thank you so much for listening to us and for being the most amazing audience. Thank you for reaching out. And please continue to do so. I'm sorry that sometimes it takes a while, but we love hearing from you. Thank you to Kano and Moore for our intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. Mm-hmm.